Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 385th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that really hopes somebody tries to make fetch a thing this week. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host back in the saddle is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Howdy, everybody. Glad to be back. I'm looking forward to diving into all the stuff that's going on this week. But before we do, I want to remind everyone that this show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Please sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on an amazing Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, seal product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, what is back on the agenda this week? We're going to lead off with the Metagame Week in Review. We've got a modern challenge and then a legacy challenge to talk about that happened this past weekend. Then we're going to get into our top movers on paper and online. We're going to talk about our picks for this week. And finally, in segment five, we're going to talk about the second half. Almost the entire set of Commander Masters has been previewed. So it's time for us to get into that and talk about those couple things that are left behind. Alrighty, we'll kick things off with the Metagame Week in Review. Taking a look at this spicy Sunday modern challenge on Magic Online. Hard to say <clears throat> that this brand new out of nowhere deck is a flash in the pan when it was two copies in the top eight on its first week of appearance. This is something I'm going to call Blue Black Ring. It's got four the One Ring, two Merktide Regent, four Subtlety, two Shieldred the Apocalypse, four Orcish Bowmasters, one Dress Down, four Fatal Push, two Spell Pierce, four Counter Spell, four Force of Negation, two Shieldred's Edict. 4 Soren's Ransom, 20 Land, and 3 Lorien Revealed, so that you either have a relatively expensive land in the early game or an ability to draw 3 cards in the late game. This is like a throwback to Blue Black Control of Yore. What I really love is the new Factor Fiction variant in Soren's Ransom for 1 less mana. You're dealing with 4 cards instead of 5. It's... Like, do you ever feel good about your factor fiction piles when somebody asks you to do that? I always feel like I'm going to mess this up. And if they choose the lesser pile, I just feel like I want to do a victory dance. You know what I mean? I mean, factor fiction is five cards, right? Right, but it's four mana. This is Soren's Ransom is three mana, but you only get to separate four cards. And this is instant speed in a format where being, being three mana versus four certainly matters. And the fact that it gives you the ring tempt trigger on top of that is extra spicy. Are there other ring tempting triggers in this deck? Not that I can see, but you are likely to have relatively small creatures uh, between the Bowmaster and its uh, army tokens. So mm. you do have a way to sneak some damage in there. And also pretty fun to put the ring temptation trigger on Hall of Storm Giants one out of every 50 games. That's pretty hot. 
I love I love everything about this deck. I love a twenty land deck that has the three land finds. You're running the subtlety, which bounces a creature spell or a planeswalker spell, and is a really great answer to if they pitch for grief, then you pitch subtlety, and you're like, no, 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 put that on top of your deck if you really want to do this again next turn. I love that interaction. Right, which stops them from doing any kind of scam shenanigans because it hasn't made it into play yet. Right, it's not an answer to when it comes into play. It prevents it from even getting into play. The other hidden spice in here is Minamo School at Water's Edge untaps the One Ring real cheap. And when you get to tap the One Ring twice a turn, things get out of control in a hurry. There's also the combo that I've been facing constantly in Historic, where you have Shieldred the Apocalypse in the One Ring. You get them down to five or six, then they drop Shieldred or One Ring one into the other, and then they start gaining the life back. So it balances off the only downside of the One Ring. (laughs) And yeah, that that can be very difficult to uh, overcome unless you can get rid of both problems. I mean, Shieldred's got five toughness, so if you're facing a burn deck, you're just like, sure, man, keep throwing them. No, that's cool. I'm going to gain 12, 12, 13 life a turn. Let's dance. See what you can do. There aren't a lot of decks other than blue-white control that run 10 counter spells in modern these days. So two spell pairs, four counter spell, and four force of negation is <clears throat> certainly squarely in the blue-black control camp. And this this plays a lot like the Grixis control decks that were in the World Championship uh, gold-bordered builds like way back in the day. Looks like fun. <laughs> and, and essentially really an does. entirely new archetype in the format. Yeah, this is good. And this was two of the top eight decks, correct? Exactly. First and sixth place. You had Blue Red, Murktide in second, and even they were running three copies of Lorien Revealed. Love it. So wasn't wasn't just the one deck that, that caught on to that tech. They also had two cast into the fire in the sideboard because you want that card to either deal with the Bowmasters or the ring. And in the case of facing off against blue-black control in the finals, it, I'm sure they wanted it for both. <laughs> I mean, it's it hurts that you have to choose one or the other, but this is an awesome, awesome answer to two of the biggest cards that have come in. Cast into the fire, if it could deal the two dam- the damage to the same creature, then it would be a Samwise answer and just clean for everything. But as it is, it's still pretty impressive. The whole rest of this top eight's pretty spicy as well. Third place was a rare appearance for Glimpse of Tomorrow. This is Omnath, Locus of Creation, Fury, Rift Sower, Wave Sifter, Shardless Agent, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, and Violent Outburst with Karn the Great Creator to go get... Uh, sneaky stuff out of the sideboard uh and there was also a calibrated blast deck in eighth place so you got all these modern horizons and modern horizons two cards red sorceries doing work here the eighth place deck has eight different em- well two different Embercool, eight copies of Embercool total uh four of the calibrated blast and looks like <clears throat> a blast to play, I suppose. I was waiting uh, for you to do that. I knew you were going to do that. Black Red Scam was in fourth and seventh. Again, one of them was running three ring, four bowmasters. The other one just the four bowmasters. And then Burn <laughs> was pretty much alongside, I guess, the adjusted blue red Murktide, the only quote unquote normal modern deck in this top eight to speak of. I, I like the simplicity of playing Burn against all this. Even if you are ready to just start crying when the they hit down the one ring plus Shieldred, that's got to hurt. 
There's also a legacy challenge from this past Saturday that I thought we'd take a look at just to see how much Lord of the Rings stuff is infiltrated there, and it did not disappoint, boy. This is a was led off in first place by a mono-white Death and Taxes build that featured four copies of Samwise the Stouthearted, a card uncommon from the Lord of the Rings set that I think a lot of people have just probably put in their bulk pile. This is a 2-1 for 2 with Flash. When it enters the battlefield, choose up to one target permanent card in your graveyard that was put there from the battlefield this turn, return it to your hand, and then you get that bonus of the ring tempting you, similar to uh, with Soren's Ransom. And so this is extra cute here, because if you put a fetch land or a sack land into the yard, Samwise can get that back and act as a ramp mechanic. If you put wasteland into the yard, then you can go on a land destruction bender (laughs) with Samwise the Stouthearted. If you do it with a creature that they manage to kill, then you can get that back. So perhaps you drop a Thalia against some kind of storm variant or build that's going to cast a bunch of spells per turn. They manage to get rid of it. You Samwise it back into play and they're right back where they started. There, There's all sorts of fun going on here. There's also uh, fun interactions with Caracas because it's legendary. You get to bounce it back to your hand. Do it if all you over wanna, Yeah, do some fun with Flagstones of Trocare. If you're managing to get some of that going, just keep it all uh, firing on all cylinders. This is another deck that uh, I don't know how long it's been since you've seen a deck playing four copies of Port to tap down their junk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Just, if you're on, uh, if you manage to wasteland two lands, then Port might be all you need to stay out in front because you presumably have three at that point. Legacy's ridiculous. I love this deck. Uh, in second place, you had Mono Blue Omniscience, where you have three copies of Atraxa Grand Unifier, three of Emrakul the Eons Torn, four Hull Breacher. Chrome Moxes, Chalice of the Void, Lotus Petals, Intuition, Force of Will, and the usual City of Traders, Ancient Tomb package alongside Islands and Ottawara. Show and Tell, Four Days Undoing, and Three Seagates Restoration. Very hot. Then you got multiple copies of Reanimator here, a fairly standard one in eighth place, and then a third place list that had two Atraxa and one Sauron the Dark Lord. The biggest commander of the week also made its way into a legacy top eight. Pretty tough to get rid of Soren in a format where you might not have a legendary in play. Yeah, because you have to have it in play to sacrifice. You can't even discard whatever legendary creature. You have to have that ready to go. So that's going to be money most of the time. And it's also there's also a format where they're going to play a bunch of spells and you're going to get your amass triggers and just do your work. This is beautiful. Yeah, and the other thing is that when an opponent casts a spell, you amass orcs. When an army you control deals combat damage, the ring tempts you, and if the ring tempts you, you can discard your hand. So if you can get Soren on the battlefield, and then they cast something, and they can't get rid of the resulting orc army, then in a format where your hand was probably played out, especially in a deck like Reanimator, where the whole deal is that you're... you're, bursting your resources out to get something like this in play yeah yeah your 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 biggest problem is that they deal with that threat and then you're left top decking so with soran soran if you get the army through you can just get four cards back and now you're right back in business it's a beautiful thing love it uh then we have a bug list 
which I haven't seen a lot of in Legacy lately, with four Orcish Bowmasters and two Grist, uh, the Hunger Tide. In fourth place, this is Brazen Borrowers, Uros, Griefs, Permanicious Deed in a Legacy list in 2023. Uh, Brainstorm, Snuff Out, Fatal Push, Force of Will, Thoughtseize, Reanimate, Life from the Loam, and Ponder. I mean, this is just <laughs> classic Sultai value town. It is. This is probably a deck that is not afraid to thought seize and replay it and keep it going. Uh, I love an Uro in decks like this, too. That's going to get so much value with how quickly you fill your yard. And then the fifth place list is Grixis Murktide, again running two copies of Sauron's Ransom, this time in Legacy, alongside two Mishra's Bobble, a Brazen Borer, four Murktide Regent, four Dragon's Rage Channeler, and four Orcish Bowmasters. Brainstorms, Dazes, Snuffouts, Lightning Bolts, Force of Will, Unholy Heat, the two Ransoms, four Ponder, and two Thoughtseize. This is, if, if the modern version was classic blue-black control, this is classic Grixis control. That's got to feel real good to slam down your Murktide Regent for two blue mana and have it be an enormous threat that you've got six different ways to protect. Yep. They, these formats look super fun. <laughs> they do. But the fact that there's only three or four cards that made their way into either format, maybe that list has now been expanded to more like six or seven. You know, people thought it was Ring, Delighted Halfling, Bowmasters, and the Cycling Lands for Living End. But now right. we have to add Samwise the Stouthearted, Sauron's Ransom, Cast into the Fire. You know, the list starts to expand. And the impact has been major, and the formats have pivoted again. So isn't this kind of what these releases are supposed to do? Keep the formats fresh and interesting? On the backside of that Grixis Murktide build, we have Esper Stoneblade, which is fairly standard Stoneblade, but they make room for four Orcish Bowmasters again, and again, two Sauron's Ransom. And the seventh place list is the one that I saw LSV playing on YouTube shortly ago, which is I'm going to call Ring and Key, where you have two copies of the One Ring and four Manifold Key and a whole bunch of uh, artifact mana. There's 35 artifacts total in here. You've also got the City of Traders, Crystal Vein, Urza Saga, and Ancient Tomb alongside Karn the Great Creator and four Echo of Eons. So you get that Echo knocked into the yard and you can spew a bunch of your deck and then whatever they've dealt with, you can just go ahead and put it all back in and go off further. Uh, I'm trying to figure out what the kill is here out of the sideboard. It must be, right? I think so. Mycosynth Lattice, Liquid Metal Coating type stuff, and you just start blowing them up with Karn? I think it's an Aetherflux Reservoir kill. Ah, yeah, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. Reservoir kill. Because you're, you're just going to nuke them with the Space Laser after you've played a billion spells. Which I died to in a, against a one-ring deck and Reservoir the other day in Historic, so it should come to no surprise. It's worth mentioning, too, we're, we're talking about Sauron's Ransom in Legacy and Modern. That's one of the cards that has the impact of Foil Extended Arts, or the only special version, and that was in the Commander sample packs. Uh, though there's been quite a run on those on TCG Player, today alone there's been one, two, three, four, seven copies sold today at $50 a piece, and there's almost none left on TCG Player. Can't imagine there's going to be much more after this. Yeah, I was looking at calling this, but there's only four listings left. 
Right. I, I, I've thought about it, too. I, don't, I can't tell people to pick up a $50 card and hope it goes to 80 uh, this quickly, but we'll see. We might be talking about it in a week or two. Top paper movers. We'll go kick things off here with Chatterfang Squirrel General foils out of MH2, eight to eleven dollars. That's only about forty percent, but it's starting to move up because this is amazing in food decks. Uh, we had a game against the Pro Traders uh, while I was up at the cottage, dragged my rig up there so I could stay in competition and keep testing. And with Chatterfang out, and I think it was Mondrock, the food deck Ugh. got out of control. <laughs> in a- in a big way. <laughs> it's not hard for a food deck to get out of control. Let's just be clear about that. I mean, I was facing down a Grave Pact uh, versus the Mono Black player, and I was able to sidestep it relatively deftly by just continuing to sack squirrels or halflings. And yeah, Chatterfang is auto-include in the food decks. Living End out of Time Spile remastered eight fifty to $12 just for regular copies, up 40%. We, I think I called foils not long ago on cast, and Living End has didn't show up in the top eight of this particular challenge, but has been doing rather well lately and has been, I think, in the top five or six decks in the format by overall play pattern, which is a, a bit of a pivot. Uh, historically, Living End was the kind of thing where there'd always be the one guy at FNM that had it, but it was really n- never really taken seriously. But the deck has steadily, incrementally gained uh, additional percentage points through the addition of new cards over the last five years and is just you know, probably a solid tier one deck in the format now. Yeah, the land cyclers have really put it to another level of consistency because now you can play even more creatures and have more stuff to do early on and make sure that you're going to hit your drops and just know that turn three, you are going to be casting that living end. Crag and Wick Cremator original foils at a Shadow Moor have gone 38 to 60, 58% gains. That's a modern rogue deck that was talked about on cast last week or the week before. There's like a single copy left near Mint on TCG Player at $30. So I don't know how real the $60 price point is, but it's kind of irrelevant because they just don't exist anymore. And the yeah, only Shadow Moor foils. Nope. There's like 18 people in. Yeah, there's like 18 people in North America playing the deck, and probably five of them have foiled it out. So. That's about as many foil rares as you'd get from Shadowmore, if you think back to it. There you go. Grief foils out of MH2, just regular, not borderless, 28 to $50 over the last couple of weeks. 80, almost 80% gains on the back of strong modern play. Now we've got the, the blue-black ring deck in motion that could ostensibly be making use of Grief. And, of course, the black-red scam builds use it constantly. It's interesting because Grief was... Grief and Ephemerate were the big oh no that that's way too good when they first started doing previews for mh2 and then grief didn't really go anywhere and it ended up being more of a endurance subtlety format for a little bit and then it pivoted to be more about solitude and fury for a long while and now we're kind of back around the corner where it's more about fury and grief these days with solidity solitude and endurance in third and fourth place they're just all good. All of the pitch elementals are good. It's just a question of what's good right now in the current meta going on. Yeah, which decks are in are solidly in tier one and are going to make use of the elementals in their respective colors. Soren's Ransom EAs uh, going a dollar to two dollars, probably headed for something like five to ten, I would imagine. Five uh, seems like a pretty safe bet. Yeah. A lot easier to find the non-foils than the foils, so there's uh, not much comparison between the two. We have Reliquary Tower Surge Foils at a 40k, 650 to 14. Surge Foil targeting continues. There's 
we, we talk about this a lot in the Discord, and the, the consensus is that this is mostly speculator-driven, that some players are after the Surge Foils, but there's a lot of people trying to pin them down as inventory as well, and then leverage a trickle of demand down the road. The Reliquary Tower is one of the nicer ones. I took a look at that art earlier and thought, yeah, I could see putting that in a deck uh, a little more right. than some of the others. There's not a lot of you know sweet versions of Reliquary Tower out there, so Surge Foiling... We've shown that players like this particular style of foiling, and you know I'm not surprised to see this show up on the list. PNLR, Console of Revival, Halo Foils, of course, I flagged in the Discord a little ways back, under $10, and they've since gone 10 to 28 or so. It's the four of banner kind of build-around card in this new Pioneer deck, so no huge surprise there. The Horus Heresy is a Tom the Bomb card, but also a Sauron card. Because I'm not mistaken, Heresy's first trigger lets you steal creatures from your opponents. Let's see. Horus, Heresy. For each opponent, gain control of up to one non-target legendary creature that player controls for as long as it's on the battlefield. And so the reason that's extra good in Sauron is that if you play one, then the other, or vice versa... The Sauron, of course, wants them to sack a legend and make a tough choice about sacking their commander to try to get rid of Sauron. But if you steal their commanders, they might, yeah. you know, sack him in response or bounce him or whatever to, to try to avoid that. And probably it's going to end up under your control or back in the command zone. And then they've got nothing to deal with Sauron when Sauron rears his head. So especially nasty <laughs> in, in that deck. It's real good, and I'm, I'm impressed with the people who are putting it all together. Living Death Surge Foils was my call last week, uh, called 5 to 18. I haven't seen any copies selling at that elevated price point, so I think you can consider that a bump created by the Pro Trader attention, and now it's very much a question mark as to whether or not uh, people will start buying at this elevated price to support the card in... Uh, tricked out versions of Sauron because again this is extra special good in Sauron where you've discarded cards along the way because when the ring tempts you you may discard your hand which is going to fill your yard and then you're going to living end to bring all that stuff back and if you build your your Grixis Sauron deck around that principle then you can really make use of something like living end and go crazy Yep, there's never a bad time to cast a living in, a living death, so uh, I'm a big fan of this in most decks that love to have their creatures. It's a fun way to get rid of things, and the fact that you get to bring all kinds of fun stuff back. Uh, it's a personal favorite in my zombie deck, where I cast living, in, living death, bring back uh, Noxious Ghoul plus six or seven zombies, and all of a sudden, it's not a symmetrical effect anymore. I just get everything I want. Yeah, and there could be a Gary in that pile, too, as there was in my uh, Scorpion, uh, not Scorpion, uh, Scarab God list this weekend, where the Gary comes in and hits the table for 20 or 30. God bless, Gary. God bless. Moving on over to the top MTGO movers of the week, we have Blasone out of Brothers War going 0.38 to 0.74 ticks. That's uh, 95% gains on the back of use in Pioneer and Modern Tron. Shieldred's Edict showed up in that blue-black ring deck as a two-of and has also seen plenty of strong standard and Pioneer play. Went 0.16 to 0.37 as a result, 130% gains. Evolved Sleeper is doing very well in a mono-black standard list. 
uh, went 0.04 ticks to 0.13, 225% gains. But a lot of this small ball stuff is only ever going to be relevant for the people that are really on the ball. Like if you have some of this stuff on a watch list and you can pick it up these like four cent price points to fill out a cart and make more efficient use of the like fractional credit you always end up with with the bots, then, right. you know, anything that ex- you might do that with six or seven or 15 cards and if two or three of them ever pop off, you're paid off. Yeah, it's not hard to to make some of these marginal ones really pay off if you if you're being real selective. And like you said, rounding out your cart, it's always a fun thing to do. So the big reveal in the EDH uh, decks associated with the release of Commander Masters later this month was the Sliver deck today that was showed off by Brian Kibler uh, and company. And a couple of cards that are on my watch list here associated with this deck that could easily catch a bump. First one is Secluded Courtyard, the promo foil from Neon Dynasty. There are plenty of these floating around. And as an uncommon that is supportive of typal decks in general, this is not at all immune from reprint. But it's not in Commander Masters, as far as we know. And so Secret Layer and or an inclusion in a Fall Standard set are probably the biggest uh, threats in the next six months. And if it dodges all of that, then we're at 36 listings on TCG Player, sitting at about 7 or $8 for copies. If the Sliver players decide that they want a copy in their decks, and they should, because this is an obvious include there, where they can, you know, it's a five-color deck. This makes mana of any color as long as you're casting a Sliver or using one of their abilities, and comes into play on tap. That's all, you know, gorgeous. It's also a nice, very handsome-looking frame that kind of plays into the gold deck theme, the five-color gold deck theme. And I could see these going 8 to 15 over the next six months if everything aligns for the silver players. It's in 75,000 reported decks on EDH Rec so far. So not a trivial card by any means. And, you know, most of your typal decks are going to want a copy of this. I would agree with you on that. Um, I'm double checking something that uh, I noticed. Uh, Secluded Courtyard is in the sliver deck. Included it's, in the list, yeah. But this is yeah. the fanciest version of. No, I I get what you're saying. So you were saying that it wasn't printed in Commander Masters. It's it's in the precon decks. So players are going to have access to it if they buy the Sliver deck. Yeah. The, to clarify my point, it's that there's no premium version available because right. it's only in the deck. There's tons okay. of copies of the non-foil sitting around. So whether it's in the deck or not doesn't really mean much to me. It's the same argument that people are making about hoarding the foil extended art uh, slivers from secret layers. Right. Non-foil Question copies. Question are people going to upgrade? Yeah, and I think the argument is strong that they will, because as with something like the Ur-Dragon, the longevity of slivers in the format is large because you can swap it. You have five or six different commanders you can use now. And with that being true, it extends the flexibility of people's builds and means they're not going to get as be as likely to get bored with them. So I would I would think this is exactly the kind of archetype in EDH that is going to get tricked out over time. I would agree with that. I also agree, and I, I believe this is a variation on a line we've said to each other several times. If your premise is correct and it dodges a secret layer or some other more premium treatment, you're right. This is the only sweet version to go for which is a darn shame because this is probably the best 
version of the effect we've gotten so far. This is there are non foils all over the place, but you are correct in that this was the this was in the promo pack, so it wasn't just like in regular Neon Dynasty packs. This is a more rare occurrence. And if it dodges everything, then I think this is real solid. How many copies did you say were on TCG right now? 36 listings. Listings, yeah. So I feel like this is a pretty good pick. As long as it doesn't show up in something else, this is rock solid. This is exactly the kind of card that you want in most of your typo decks. I don't think I have it in Ur-Dragon, but I'm really like locked in on my card list for that. But I do have it in Hydras and Zombies. So yeah, this is a card that most players should at least be thinking of playing in their typo decks. Good call. All right, what's your first selection this week? I, instead of wanting, instead of looking too far back, I actually wanted to look a little forward and think about Wilds of Eldraine coming out. And I came to the Secret Lair copies of Alila, the Artful Provocateur, from the Secret Lair. That was about uh, not that long ago because it's a 2023 lair. But it's this, you know, uh, hardcore band poster kind of thing, punk rock looking. And there's not a lot of copies on TCG Player. You'd be surprised to know that the four or more copies, and for some secret layers, you have tons. But there's one vendor with 15 and then nobody else with uh, more than six at a reasonable price. We got somebody else with... 14 uh, copies at $15. But I'm picking this to go from about uh, $10 or $11 up to $20 because this makes so many fairies. And fairies are a lovely tribe who are going to get some fun support. And I think grabbing your copies now is the way to go. Plus, this is a relatively stable commander. You know, it's Esper Colors. It does what you want in Artifacts and Enchantments, giving you more things and giving you 2-1 flying tokens to kill people with. Looking over her stats over on EDH Rec, she is in ni- she's got 9,748 decks recorded, which ranks her 31st all-time. Very solid. And as you said, with going uh, us returning to Eldraine in the fall... There will be people building Fairies builds. I guess the question here is whether you're going to get the right colors of Fairies sure. on Eldraine and how many of them are going to be attractive Fairies for EDH purposes. But I'd say if you got, you know, five or six and either they fit inside Alela or she fits inside some other commander, then the, the demand could could well be there. The other thing to keep in mind is that this wasn't a regular secret layer release, right? This was a festival in a box minneapolis 2023 release so that was sometime this winter i can't keep track of the secret layers at this point i'm glad you remember that though i'm i'm willing to trust you on that yeah i don't don't think it was a normal really it looks like its price history starts in april so it must have been like a a late april uh release this year so it's not that old and there aren't that many sitting around as a result. If this was a regular secret layer release, the inventory would be a lot deeper. And the price ramp is pretty solid up into the mid-late teens. So it uh, wasn't on my radar, but I think it's a, a reasonable thing to go kind of shallow on in anticipation of some reveals from Wilds of Eldraine, and then you see where you're at. You're uh, And you are correct. This was from MagicCon Minneapolis. This was the... Secret Lair Drop exclusive there. 
That was called Legendary Flyers, Not That Kind. It had Phage, Isan the Wanderer, Alila, and Sen Triplets. Gotcha. Uh, the other selection I have this week is one of the few slivers that was not in the deck today. And that is one of the all-time classics. Muscle Sliver was not included. Muscle Sliver Foil Extended Arts from the Secret Layers have been languishing after having debuted in the like high 40s, low 50s. They dropped off a steep cliff uh, and ended up around 10 or $11 with 36 listings left. So fairly similar inventory overall to Alela. And I just can't see building a sliver deck in EDH without reaching for Predatory Sliver, Sinew Sliver, and Muscle Sliver as the things that get you big and right. and then allow you to use one of your other interchangeable slivers that makes combat tough, either the ones that you know give quasi-hexproof to your slivers, Death Touch, Menace, Flying, whatever that's going to get them through. Because I find that my sliver builds always play pretty similarly to Jota, where it's about amassing four or five creatures on the board at once and getting critical mass and then dodging your way through the first sweeper with a heroic intervention or a flawless maneuver or right. a chroma's will or something like that and start to just one shot people with attacks they can't handle at all and part of that is that you want four or five six of your slivers to make slivers big and that can be uh, the green red ones that make them bigger when they get blocked or when they attack but this has a absolutely wild inclusion rate amongst all the sliver decks reported on edh rec it's 63 percent usually if i see an inclusion rate on a new card from a standard set that's above 15 percent, i would get excited 63 percent is absolutely unheard of and it shows how like narrow and specific the themes are for for sliver decks in general and given that you're going to get that kind of inclusion rate Seems very, very likely that these are going to go eight or nine dollars up to, you know, fifteen or twenty. Now, eight dollar copies have dried up because I made an early announcement to the pro traders this afternoon, thinking that this was going to be relatively time sensitive. People were combing through the lists, and I wanted to make sure they got the information on time. All the more reason to be a pro trader if you can get this this info a little early. Now co- copies are close to around eleven, but I think eleven to fifteen to twenty is not out of the question here at all. Uh, if enough people decide to make their sliver decks fancy, there's not a lot of listings. Only one vendor has as many as eight copies, and you know, like you said, this is where sliver decks tend to start because slivers tend to be a little bit undersized. And you want all of them that pump the power and the toughness. Uh, I've made my fair share of sliver picks in the past couple of months. And this seems totally reasonable to hit 15. Might get to 20, especially because like this is the sweet version that didn't get put in. For those who care, this is Richard Kane Ferguson with some extremely alien... Um, I forget who did the art for alien. The uh, Geiger. Like real Geiger looking scary like teeth and pointy so this is this is awesome and uh, a great pick i can't believe they didn't put this in the actual pre-constructed deck how do you leave this out well i mean one of the things that i that makes it awkward if you're playing against other people with pre-cons is that if they table the pre-con with slivers it makes their slivers bigger so maybe they figured they wanted to dodge so you that kill field everybody else for i i really yeah, yeah. as 
as a as a magic boomer, I'm that kind of person who's like, I want all my slivers to give all the slivers and play all the fun stuff, and not just the slivers I control. There's not. I I want all slivers to give all slivers and play all the fun things. I see why they did it because it's a it takes an already complicated tribe and makes them even more complicated. But nonetheless, I think this is solid and I I think you're right. This is why they they didn't put it in there because they didn't want to put in the bump your te- your opponents changelings and slivers as well. That's a good point. Thing is if you're if you're a kind of deck that has reason to be running something like a maskwood nexus and sure. and they they do run muscle sliver and a bunch of the others old school slivers then you're you're happy to take that bump <laughs> for sure you really are you really are you're never happy you're never sad about that and and really those kind of weird interactions are what makes cdh games special so the i have no issue with with that occurring if i'm on either side of that equation the it's also worth pointing out that in that deck the only five color old sliver they gave us is sliver hive lord so, of course, no Sliver Queen, because that's on the reserve list, and that's going to see a significant bump here, I would imagine. No Sliver Legion, which has a Judge promo that probably sees a bump. Sliver Grave Mother is the one that's actually in there, and no Sliver Overlord either. So You forgot the first Sliver. Uh, and also the first Sliver, yes. So that's... I think everybody would have guessed that at least one more of those would have been included, right. especially given the elevated price point, but they weren't. Uh, the other thing about Muscle Sliver is if you're doing this for personal use and not for speculation. There's an FNM promo in an old border that is $40, but those are only going to get more rare. So yeah. not a terrible idea to, to grab one of those instead. There's also some old sliver tokens that are already quite pricey from legions. Oh uh, man. Those, those things along with like soldier and the, the old school goblin that has like flavor text on the box and everything. Yeah. Uh, the other one that I almost put on this list this week was there's a coat of arms in Old Border that comes out of the old Sliver uh, foil deck. No, the and... Sliver foil, I had that. That didn't. Ha- that wasn't an Old Border. Oh, sorry, sorry. It's a, uh... but it's foil, right? Yeah, it's foil. It has the Sliver logo on it. Yeah, exactly. That's what I meant. Foil with a Sliver logo, not Old Border. Uh, and those are sitting around, there's like 14 listings left. They start at $17. I could see those getting pushed up over 30 just because it's, you know, sliver cute. It's got a sliver logo on it. So it makes sense that people will add it to sliver decks that already want the card. Yeah, if you've never played against Coat of Arms in a typo deck, uh, fear, be very afraid, kill it immediately because you will die. All right. What is your final selection this week? My other pick this week has to do with a weird-ass interaction that I thought wasn't going to be relevant, but it turns out they changed the rules on how a mass works with the Lord of the Rings coming out. And so when you amass, if you have an army, you uh, now things are amass orcs or amass uh, goblins. Or... And now the originals are all amass zombies. So... Cards that cared about a mass before, your army not only gets bigger, you, you won't amass an orc or a zombie army, you'll amass and it will gain that creature type if you have, say, uh, the zombie who gives an amass token of one and a Sauron who gives you a amass orcs one, you'll end up with a 2-2 two, two zombie orc army. Which is you so gain... counterintuitive. It is very counterintuitive, it's true. But... 
to take advantage of this, one of the best amass cards is Widespread Brutality, the one black, red, red card where you amass two and then deal damage equal to the amassed creature's power. So if you've got a Honk and Sauron and you cast Widespread Brutality, you are not going to amass zombies two and do two damage to everything. You're going to amass onto that big old orc army and then deal that much damage to each other creature in play. And you've seen Sauron go crazy, I know. So you can get these widespread brutality foils from War of the Spark for about a dollar fifty, and I'm picking them to go to about five bucks. They might go higher. This was before the foil drop rate started going up. There's not a huge amount of foils available on TCG right now. There are a few. Nobody's got large quantities, but there are currently for all conditions, there's 81 vendors. So there is some amount to get through. But given the interactions of zombies and everything in the mass, uh, I think this is a card that it might need to get shown on somebody's stream in order for everyone to find out just how good it is. But this is a pretty busted thing to be doing, especially in a Sauron deck. I mean, it's got 40% inclusion so far in the Sauron build, so it's not a secret. Um I do worry about these hyper-specific foil common or uncommons. Uh, sorry, I guess oh. this is a rare. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not an uncommon or a common, so that's not that's not terrible. Uh, and War of the Spark is pretty old. There were no extended arts or foil extended arts from back then, so this is the only quote-unquote fancy version of the card. Are people tricking out their Sauron builds? Some of them are. Yeah. Some of them are. The Dark Lord anything less than the best? Come on, man. I mean, we're. It's tough because the pro trader EDH players are all whales. So all the decks are tricked out. The right. average player may never do that. So, what percentage of. How many people total in North America need to care about foil widespread brutality to move it to six or eight dollars? Tough to say. Let's let's see how it's selling at a dollar. Because if it's not selling well at a dollar, it's not going to sell well at eight, right? Right. It looks like today we we somebody already grabbed like fifteen copies just today. Presumably. I noticed that. Yeah, like under a dollar copies went kind of poof. And there's been a, a smattering of those spec swipes lately, but on average, it's something like before that action, it was moving at onesie twosie copies today. So I would have guessed that ignoring speculator demand, this is going to be two to four copies a day while Soren is popular. And maybe that gets you there. Personally, I would stay clear of this, but I certainly have some of these sitting around from War of the Spark cracking, and I should go pull them out and attempt to sell them. I mean, you, you went crazy on the Japanese War of the Spark, right? When you were hunting lilies? Yeah. Yeah, so you true. probably got some Japanese copies sitting around too. But the, the mass interaction is so non-intuitive that I think a lot of people don't know that you. That's can a tricky do this. part here. Is that they? It, yeah. Yeah. But fortunately, whales tend to be more in tune with that kind of stuff. Like, there's a lot of tricky rules interactions. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of tricky rules interactions that come up in our Discord games, and they're typically resolved with you know amongst the people playing. Occasionally, we got to look. We've got to look up a ruling, but most of the time, somebody at the table knows what's up. Right. And I know that some protators were already discussing these interactions over the last few, like week or so uh, as Sauron came to the forefront as the most popular commander out of Lord of the Rings. 
All right, let's move on over to the rest of the Commander Master reveals since Derek and I left off last week. His take, I don't know if you listened to the cast while you were gone, but Derek's take so far was that it was eh to medium set. Wasn't super excited about it. Given what we've seen since then, I've come around to it being one notch below excellent. It's good. Uh, I think the big question mark now is are we getting Triomes or Fetchlands to finish this whole thing up? If it's allied Fetchlands, I think that the the set truly turns the corner. And if we get Triomes, those are actually still pretty good as a reprint here because that's three years ago. And they are very much super stables. But fetches are better. So we, <laughs> next week we'll be discussing what the, what the outcome of that is. For now, let's take a look at what they did give us. Um, probably things that jump out at me. Scarab God, which was the fancy promo for a secret layer sometime in the last six months, is getting a reprint here. And it was right. last printed, I think, before that in Double Masters. Really don't think it needed that reprint, at least not this soon. Micaeus the Unhallowed gets the profile treatment, and that's definitely one of the better ones. Yeah, because it's got a, a great color to it and everything. Yeah, the color, like the gray-blue background with the pallid witch flesh of uh, of Micaeus there looking very, very nice indeed. Saw some people complaining about the close-ups of the big monstrous creatures like uh, Kozilek and Emer- and. Uh, Ulamog and so forth. I think they're fine. They're, they're not my favorite versions either. Because I think, like, if you look at the art for Emrakul the Promised End, like the large size version of the art, that's how I want my Eldrazi to look. That is one of the most overwhelmingly threatening images in magic history. <laughs> right. And uh, you lose some of that when you're right in close with a cartoony feel. Right. That that's what I was gonna say is that if you're looking at uh like in the preview page I'm looking at, I can see Micaeus and Grinzo and Ulamog all right next to each other, and you really do lose the sense of scale that is necessary for something like this. I have the same feeling about the Ur Dragon in profile. Like that I'm not gonna upgrade my uh secret layer Ur Dragon to a texture to a to a special foil version of that because it doesn't look cool enough. If the Ur-Dragon had something going on like this Balefire Dragon that is spilling over the art and setting things aflame, we might be talking. But as it is, it's just a regular profile. The one thing that we do lose is all the little tricks you do as an artist for perspective and size. Yeah. Very That's much cool. A format I'm glad they that, did this. Very much a format that doesn't favor detail. Yeah. Mangara the Diplomat, Mythic out of Core Set 2021, that was sitting at about $20 for foils and $15 for non and extended art, is going to get hammered here because it got downshifted from Mythic to Rare. That sucks. Drop like a rock. Balefire Dragon is one of the Surge foils. Uh, te- Surge? Uh, not not text- Surge. Not- textured foil, I believe. Frame Break Borderless <laughs> foils. Right. Not Surge Foil. So Jeweled Lotus being the the most important one. There are one uncommon, five rares, and six mythic rares in that special, special treatment. Balefire looks really cool. 
Uh, I like the side profiles of Grenzo Havoc Razor. Not a huge fan of the Loyal Retainers art. The new Demonic Tutor uh, frame break borderless is gorgeous. I don't think anybody's going to be complaining about that, even though we've got plenty of those over the years. We have a uh, whole lot of options at Demonic Tutor these days. Nice to finally have a fancy version of Vandal Blast that matters, but I don't love the art. Doesn't really get across the vandalism aspect. Looks more like a fusillade of fire magic from a great distance. Right. Heliod Suncrowned reprinted here at Mythic. Uh, Smothering Tithe is one of the frame break cards. So that's a double tap of a special note because we just got it a year, you know, less than a year ago in uh, Double Masters 2022. It had a foil borderless there. I've already made a bunch of money on those, but I'm definitely getting caught holding here. However, there's a flip side to that. They moved it from Rare to Mythic. So that matters. <laughs> it does. That 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 may not hurt. So this reprint a year later, people were real up in arms about in the Discord. But I was thinking immediately, like, wait, 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 upshifted, and upshift from rare to mythic signals that it might just yeah. it might stay mythic in the for the foreseeable future. And if that's true, then all of those nine, not eight, seven, eight, nine dollar copies I got in Japan might never get below 15 over here in North America and it might stay pricey. Uh, I think I like last year's art better than this art. There is a lot of similarities going on. Yeah, they're both like a hand over money, but you're talking about a tithe and so that kind of makes sense. Yeah. and The frame break thing is cool and I think the frame break foil version specifically is going to you know, have a special place in the pantheon of versions. But in terms of regular copies, I think last year, last year's art is better. So there may be a preference for some players there. Uh, a nice looking reliquary tower. We were, you were just talking about that earlier, and, and right. here it is. Uh, the Great Henge did not even remotely occur to me that it would be here, given that we just got it in Realms and Relics and Lord of the Rings. So you got back to back sets with Henge. That's Sword of the Animist as well got the same double tapping where it was in the Realms and Relics, and now it's here in the, yeah. uh, the Commander Master set. But the this is a topic for future reference. Like, do we think they don't overlap? They don't talk to each other? Like, whoever's job it is to monitor how often something gets talked about? Is there one person who's monitoring all of it? Is there anyone? We don't know. I, I think in those conversations, my best guess is that they've been told we can get away with it. Well, like somebody are going to get away with this. Yes. Like, like for sure. Somebody has said multiple times along the way, as they've evolved this policy over the last five years, we can't do this. We just reprinted it. And somebody else in the room said, I bet you we can. Uh. <laughs> because <laughs> here's the thing. <clears throat> if magic collections were made up of five cards, and people paid $50 a piece for them every time, and they only came out once every three years, there would be a very specific economy in motion where right after the reprint, things would be the cheapest, and as you got to the midway point, they would start to get very expensive, and then as you got closer to the known reprint, they would get cheap again, and you'd be on a kind of a constant cycle in that way. And the the cycle would ratchet down slowly over time as more and more copies entered the market, and it would be, you know, the most predictable version of 
a lot of these processes that we've and trend lines that we've seen over the last 30 years. But in in a situation like this where you have tens of thousands of cards and you have well over a thousand staples of note in a format like EDH, they just know they can do it, right? Like <laughs> they're not going to print the Great Hinge back to back in a standard set as a mythic. But they'll do something like Shieldra the Apocalypse and Dominaria United in September and then give it to you again in January, but only as a special version. They'll do Realms and Relics, which wasn't really in the main set for Lord of the Rings, and then give it to you as a mythic again here so that they can give you the uh, etched foil. They think that they are sidestepping just slightly and dodging the, the brunt of your criticism. And they're daring you by increasing the price of these premium products slowly over time to slam your wallet closed and say no. And if that happened, if they if they push us really far and, and the wallets kept closing and closing and closing and the game started shrinking, they would reverse course or try something else. But right. as long as they get continue to get away with it, and so far they have, they will continue to do it. So most there, there aren't that many egregious reprints in this set, but the five or six that are there are very notable. You know, things like Urza, Smothering Tithe, Great Hinge. And it will be interesting to see where these within a year double taps end up that are mythics. Right? Because right. something like Sword of the Animist, I could care less. Print it 12 times a year, 15 times a year. I don't care. It's not a spec. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's it hasn't been a spec for a long time. But something like the Great Hinge... If you were like, oh, I'm going to get, you know, snap off the cheapest copies of Realms and Relics Great Hand on opening weekend because it'll be years till we see this and they get it, give it to you three weeks later. Well, number one, if you're buying spec cards the very first weekend, we need to have a conversation about what your planning is. I think I said on cast I couldn't wait to buy cheap non-foil Realms and Relics copies of this. So now I'm really going to get an opportunity to get cheap copies of the Great Hinge. I think Sword of the Animist is is a very widely played staple, and if I get a chance at you know four dollar copies now, three dollar copies, I'm probably going to take that. The, the thing with that one is, I think that anything under five dollars can just show up in any old precon. Plus, sure. it's going to get all the other printings. It's and not so... like expensive cards dodge the these reprints, but they are more likely to happen in these super premium level, more expensive sets. That is true. Well, I mean, so look at the we, sliver, sliver deck. There's nothing. There was hardly anything in value there, despite it being an eighty dollar deck. Boy, the mana base on that deck sucks too. Yeah. So I mean, you know, something that can slide easily into a precon where they don't have to think much of it is is going to get that kind of double tap, especially a colorless thing like Sword of the Animus. Uh, Ashnod's altars in here. Treasure Nabber gets a borderless version. Uh, Flawless maneuver fo- following up on Deadly Rollick, and we've. Uh, we've also seen a fierce guardianship. That one looks super sweet. They all look really good. It, it's really irritating that we don't get more sweet ass secret layers with cards like this. Like, why isn't this an artist spotlight card for Randy Gallegos? Like, I, how many? If this was in a secret layer, and if it was one of like four blue counter spells. It doesn't even matter what the other three are. How many are you buying at 40 bucks a shot? I think I rank them Fierce Guardianship, Deflecting Swat, Deadly Rollick, 
flawless maneuver. Okay. And those are all frame breaks, so there should be fancy, extra There's... fancy versions of all of the above. Correct. And those are solid value anchors. That's those are going to be very popular. They are have extreme rates of inclusion in EDH because they're free spells if you have a commander out, and especially as they add more and more partner commanders, that that stuff only gets better. Like we we figured out in my food deck the other day that Agent of the Iron Throne is that the card? The Death Touch Monarch one? No, Agent of the. Iron Throne is a legendary background from Commander Legend oh, Battle right, for Battle right, right. Barter's Gate. It says, whenever an artifact or creature you control is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, each opponent loses one life. The part I missed is that's not an enchantment that says that. It says Commander Commander creatures you own have that. So if right. you have part, if you have Fr- Sam and Frodo out, they lose two life. Oh Jesus! <laughs> that's and keep and keep in mind, rude. Sam is making your food sack for one. So. You're a yeah. monster. It's nasty. Should feel bad. Should put you in timeout. They're finally giving us a Blood Chief Ascension reprint and giving us a sweet uh, borderless version of that. That's very sweet. nice. Uh, doubling season is back. If you missed that, that's an important mythic include because that's kind of like one of the few mythic cards that has stayed expensive for better part of a decade despite well, multiple printings. Always bounce back. Toxic Deluge though is going to take a while to bounce back. We're getting new versions of that and so your commander collection black copies anything else you might have had laying around this is going to be a while for the deluge to recover arachnogenesis at rare is one of these things where they get to claim they're putting value in the set but it's going to collapse to nearly nothing because nearly only, nothing only she cares about this card crater hoof behemoth at mythic confirmed perennial green stompy card Days Undoing was downshifted from Mythic to Rare, which is relevant for anybody trying to sell those into modern combo decks and legacy Narset nonsense. Yuriko, which I called months ago to catch a reprint here, did indeed get one. Razaketh the Foul-Blooded at Mythic. Uh, A nice-looking version of Reality Shift, which is a good card to have around if you're a mono-blue player especially and have limited options for removal in EDH. Uh, A Chroma foil etched versions at mythic that's going to be nice uh avison uh, sorry avison not a chroma yeah uh Karlov profile not super thrilled with it seems kind of basic to me dark steel mutation borderless very nice looking the marin card is fine like the thing is about but with the monstrous commanders a fashion side profile just with like green hair and glowing green eyes doesn't really do it for right. me. Compare it to the Talrand, who's you know also on that same page, and you're looking at like, oh look at Talrand's cool ass headgear that going. On. He's got drakes. Dude yeah, is yeah. wearing some drakes. That's they, hot. They I would really, upgrade to that. Right, because you can't really see that detail in the original art unless you spend some time with it. But the the profile adds something there. It's giving you a better view of what this character is all about. Grave Pact, which I, again did a bunch of work in the game I played this weekend, uh, getting a reprint, real nice looking Can't one there. Wait to buy a bunch of copies of that. Uh, Perforos God of the Forge at Mythic has caught multiple reprints. Uh, Tooth and Nail at Rare with art I'm not thrilled that thrilled about. It's if you're trying to show big monstrous things, show them close up threatening something. Right. When you make the monsters smaller than the the building that they're that they're jumping around on. They, they just look like tiny little animals having fun. 
tiny little animals. There you uh, go. Steel. It's just a weird art direction choice. Steel Shaper's Gift. Borderless looks great. Disrupt Decorum. Uh, if you haven't played with big time goad cards, trust me. Oh, they're so good. That's how you close out a game. <laughs> so good. You get you get to like turn eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and you goad the table. It's kind of like you just cast Teferi's Protection, but your opponents take a bunch of damage as a result. Yeah, it just feels real good to see like how many players are just scared to attack with their creatures. No, no, no. Don't be afraid. Just do it. Just do it. It'll be fun. I promise. Which is whatever their calculated strategy was for what they hold back and what they attack with just falls to pieces. And and now they've got to do weird things like tap it in advance via a convoke spell or they're going to sack it or whatever. To, they got to start doing backflips to try to get out from under your nonsense. Can I rant uh, about Profile Gisela for a second? Because I'm sorry, we're about to get to Gisela. Is, was there something else you wanted to mention? Yeah, go ahead. Because, like, it's an angel, right? We can see some of the wing. We don't get even a little bit of Halo going on here. They've done yeah, so many cool things with Halos over the years. Do you remember, like, Halos mm-hmm. over the eyes in original Zendikar block? Like, do something here. We've got a translucent frame. It hurts, bruh. It really hurts. Like, I, I love that they tried this. I'm glad that they tried this. But somebody need to needed to say, like, this looks real basic, you guys. What can we do to spice this up? So that's pretty much it for the major reprints in Commander Masters. And we've seen, I think, all all mythics now. And we're just waiting on the land cycle, which they have clearly sandbagged. Uh, and I'm hoping that at, even if it's Triomes, that it's real sexy art. And if it's fetches, give us some, some real spice and get people excited. So like the fetches, we need to get... These are uh, allied fetches, right? So these are the original fetches yep. that we're looking for. So they already exist in old border. So that for them to catch up to what they, it would, I'm sorry, I'll rant about fetches next week. I would imagine it's, it's border. Like the question is whether they are available as borderless or etched because they're, they're, whether whether or not they are squeezed out is dependent on what treatments are actually on deck. Um, Right. And, and I suspect that by the time people, most people hear this, this will long since have been resolved and we'll be talking about it next week. So for now we can, we can move on to the new cards that are in the sliver deck. So first of all, there's some new slivers, obviously. They had showed us a picture over the weekend of a Amonkhet sliver that looked like it had bolus horns. And I right. guessed it was an amass sliver, and indeed it is. But it's actually a I thought this more was going to be the eternalized sliver. It would be so much more useful. Which seemed but... reasonable. That, that was a reasonable guess for people that said that. This is a 4 4 for 4 zombie sliver. So you can also put it in your zombie decks. Sliver creatures uh-huh. you control have afflict 2. And whenever a non-token sliver you control dies, a mass slivers two. Put two plus one plus one counters on an army you control, et cetera, et cetera. Um, they also showed us capricious sliver, four for a three, three. Whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, exile the top card of your library, you may play that card this turn. So if they're too scared to block, you get a free look at a bunch of cards. And they showed us hatchery sliver, a new two drop sliver for two, for one in a green, for a two, two has replicate one in a green where you can cast it multiple times. So if you have six, you can get three copies of this. And then each sliver you cast has replicate. The replicate cost is equal to its mana cost, which turns your top decks into fresh armies. Uh, if you it's can keep the hatchery amazing. sliver alive. Yeah. They also showed a, a pretty broad application card that caught my eye for the ancestors, two in a green instant, not sorcery. That's key here. Choose a creature type. Look at the top six cards, of your library reveal 
all of the cards of the chosen type, put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order, and then it has flashback three and a green. That's pretty hot on an instant. The the immediate question in the Discord was, could you play this in Legacy Elves? Because they usually have... If they don't get wiped, they have a bunch of mana, and this would go get a bunch more elves, and then later get a bunch more elves, and there's a lot of decks that will be interested in this card because it is not specific to slivers it just wants you to be playing a bunch of cart creatures of the same type like is this good in ur dragon let's see two and a green i've got 40 dragons in the deck so that means that it's two thirds it's i'm sorry it's two fifths so then i'm looking at hitting two point something dragons i mean for two and a green that's pretty good I don't think I'm going to change it because I really love the cards I have in there now as like dragon accessories. But uh, I can see this playing in just about any typal deck. Like you're going to have to think about how good this is because it can do a tremendous amount of work. Descendant's Fury is an enchantment for three and a red. Whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, you can sack one of them. If you do, reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a creature card that shares a creature type with the sacrificed creature. Put that card on. So you can basically sack a smaller sliver to go get a bigger sliver. And yeah, the first the first one you can find, though. Yeah. You don't get to choose the one that you do. You get to uh, just whatever the next sliver is. That's what I'm upgrading to. I like this a lot more, I think, in Goblins, where I think in, you're sacking yeah. a 1-1 to- a one, one token to go get a Lord. Honestly, I think that uh, Taunting Sliver is the one that's going to... Like, we were just talking about how good Goading is. This Taunting Sliver, that go- whenever a, creature com- a Sliver comes into play, you get to go target creature and opponent controls. That thing's going to be so much fun to play. They just give Slivers all the cool stuff to do. First of all, that's Goading in blue. Oddly yeah. enough, I don't know why in a five-color deck this wasn't a red card, but okay. I guess they've decided blue is, is sub-theme goad now. Uh, Regal Sliver, three and a white for a 3-3. Three, three. Sliver creatures you control have, when this creature enters the battlefield, slivers you control get plus one, plus one until end of turn if you're the monarch. Otherwise, you become the monarch. So the, when you play it, you become the monarch, draw an extra card at the end of turn. And on the subsequent turns, if this stays around... If you get two or three slivers into play on the same turn, your team gets buffed by three, and that army that should, is going to do it. <laughs> yeah, and that, that army is going to make it tough for them to break through and steal the monarch from you. Yeah. The, uh, so the, the other broad application card here is Titan of Litjara, four double blue six six illusion. Enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. It's the chosen type in addition to its other types. Enters the battlefield or attacks. You can draw a card for each other creature you control that shares a creature type with it. If you do, discard a card. This is probably going to do the most work in green-blue strategies that are typal, where you got significant ramp and a reason to be casting this, but the five-color decks can obviously find a home for it as well. This would be a 6-6 non-flying dragon in your dragon deck. And if you had two or three dragons in play, it draws three cards and then you discard one. Is that good enough for a dragon? I mean, I'm at a point where I'm not playing Kindred Discovery in my dragon deck because I've got things like the Teamer Ascendancy and the Garuk's Uprising and other assorted fun things. I think this is an awesome card. 
Uh, I don't. I'm probably gonna try it in my Hydra's deck, honestly. But I don't think I'm gonna put it into the Dragon deck. I'm real like, what's the word I want? I'm hyper picky about stupid Dragon deck. Is what I'm gonna say about that. What do you think about the biologist uh, whose name I'm not sure I'm gonna ever get right for everything that goes on? Ruka Rumel, biologist. Ruka, okay. Ruka for Wooberg, for a three-three human wizard. When it enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Slivers you control and non-token creatures you control are the chosen type in addition to their other creature types. The same is true for creature spells you control and creature cards you own that aren't on the battlefield. So it's basically a mask wood nexus on a stick, right? Uh, on legs, yeah. So it's a 3-3, three, 3-tap, three, three, create a 1-1 one, one colorless sliver creature token. So the cute thing here is, like when people build Morophon changeling decks, you can just throw a whole bunch of stuff into the deck where they aren't necessarily synergistic. And then if you get your commander in play and you can keep it there, then you get this massive boost in synergy. Right. There's all kinds of cards that um, can do things if they have the right combination of other stuff going on. Like, for instance, in Onslaught, there's Rotlung Reanimator 2 and a Black. It's a 2-2. It's a zombie cleric. Whenever it or another cleric is put into a graveyard, put a 2-2 black zombie creature token into play. Well, if you can have a card like Maskwood Nexus or Rukemurumel uh, uh, in play, then all you need is a sack outlet, and you have just had infinite zombies coming in and out of play for whatever damage you want to do to people. So there's a lot of cards that will synergize with having everybody having the same creature type to turn something that isn't typeable into a typeable deck. And it's going to be pretty cool to see what people build around with this. I'm, I'm impressed at the open-ended nature of this. Plus, because of the ability that Rukumarumel has, you're going to get to just tap three and get the token, and that'll start the whole chain going. I'll say that Nexus itself gets the, it gets significant pressure from Rukumarumel if she takes off. She sure. might be too too subtle of a commander. I think this needed like creatures of the chosen type get something as well. Yes. She, well, she's she's like a fun thought puzzle, but you know if you look at the top commanders, <laughs> very few of them are thought puzzles. They're not thought puzzles. They're very straightforward. Like you want to do this and you want to do all. You lot like of dragons. This. You like elves. You would yes. like to have a lot of artifacts. Yeah. You would. So, you would like to play Grixis Control. So I, I fully expect to face this in the Pro Trader Discord because people are always trying to bring the spice. But right. yeah, I, if I'm thinking about what out of these revealed new cards in this deck matters most, it's probably for the Ancestors would be my guess. That seems like the card that's going to be put into the most things immediately. I would agree. Alrighty, I think that uh, wraps up this week. Where can folks find you online, my friend? You can find me online and Twitter at Word of Commander or my articles every Friday on mtgprice.com. You folks can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com and my constant haunting of the Pro Trader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, including what is looking like a very successful Lorcana group by if that all goes off as expected and a super active discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing magic the gathering 
Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5, that's finance with the number 5 at the end, during checkout at Cool Stuff, Inc. to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. James, it's good to be back, buddy. Our vacations have ended. We're getting back in the swing of things. Back in the saddle. Thank you, Cliff. Thank all of you. And we will wrap up Commander Masters next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance.